0: Hi Marleya! Hi Patrice! We're trying to get our energy level <laughs> we up are. and synchronized sniffing. Yeah,
1: synchronized sniffing.
0: <laughs> Tis mm. the season. Yes.
1: Oh my gosh! So we have a lot to follow up on from our show at the Goat House, Woo-hoo. and I totally am blank.
0: <laughs> 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 no, I'm reading stuff do a lot. I don't no,
1: know. <laughs> no, but we should, right? If, if if I was a responsible mm. person that could remember shit, even with my Courtney chalkboard, <laughs> which we should have brought
0: with us, we even said uh, it while we were there. We, we should did. have brought our chalkboards. Yeah,
1: I was scared I'd forget my chalkboard. Yeah, that's you know.
0: that's a risk you can't. Run. And I can't
1: forget these chalkboards anywhere, so that would be very sad. But I wanted to give a special shout out to Randy and Courtney and Lindsay, who are yes. our traveling companions. And were amazing and so much fun and... And lots of help. Lots of help. And, of course, Goat House and uh, the crew there Mm -hmm. who were very accommodating. And and James and Aaron, who are awesome and partied with us.
0: And our DJ, whose name I have blanked on, but she was Uh, remarkably good. She was great.
1: Uh, So if I find
0: that, I will share.
1: Right. Also wanted to give a shout out to Alyssa and Mary Beth, who are our South Carolina ladies and witches on the ground in New Orleans this week Mm -hmm. for Halloween. Alyssa Page, Alyssa Page, Page.
0: Yep. Um,
1: and then a whole bunch of other ladies: Kellyanne, Kellyanne, Raven. Raven.
0: Yes. Um,
1: I'm sorry if I forgot your name.
0: Oh, and um, also thanks to um. To Trey, because oh Trey ordered or ordered recorded a listener lore for us after the show. Yes. Um, we have a
1: killer listener lore. Mm-hmm. It is
0: really freaking horrifying. Um, oh, and our DJ was Tamika um, oh yeah. McGee, who goes under DJ Meek334 on Instagram. So if you're interested in Erin Birmingham and you need somebody, she's awesome. Look her up um birmingham or
1: montgomery, montgomery.
0: jesus christ That's it's right. been a week
1: y'all yeah this is like we're just realizing because we're so new to this obviously this is our busy season mm-hmm. and we were not prepared and we're ready to like rest yeah. and it's not and happening it's not over yet it's <laughs> not happening yet <laughs> oh my goodness also i wanted to um give a shout out to astra Albion. Oh, God, fuck. I don't know if I said your name right. Um, (laughs) Oh, yeah, sure. (laughs) Oh, yeah, sure. (laughs) But um, he has a new novella out called In the Snow, the Jungle. And uh, I'll provide a link on the show notes. And I have not finished your book yet, and I am so sorry. So here's the deal with me and reading. (laughs) I love to read. Like, I was the person, and I'm going to just give up how bad a student I was when I was in college. I would bring books to like art hist I'm sorry, art history professors that are my friends that I love dearly. But I would bring a book to art history class and sit in the back of the auditorium and read my books. <laughs> and that was just kind of because it was like eight o'clock in the morning and I could not focus on anything that I was supposed to like really be focused on. So I just sit back there and just chill with the book. And I got through so many series <laughs> like that. And I love reading. Like I could spend all day reading but as an older adult with multiple responsibilities and a child and a podcast and a job um, that I just, if I have downtime, I'm either trying to find a story (laughs) to do or I'm sleeping. (laughs) So there is no like, you know, me and a book on the nightstand is like about five seconds before I go to sleep. So I have to have an audible, I have to have an audio book to listen to if I'm going to like process any kind of, of information during the day, so I can multitask. So I can do like one of the things that I have to get done. So unfortunately, his books are not audible yet, and so I cannot listen to them. So it's taken me a really, really long time to read something that should have really taken me like a day.
0: Maybe to I'll get through. You give me the book, and I'll read it out loud into a microphone, and then <laughs> I'll just send it to all of you. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh my
1: goodness! But yes, so it's all on me. I'm sorry. It's going to take me forever. It's going to take me till the holiday season probably before I get a chance to sit down and do anything that I would like really, like truly enjoy to do for more than you know an hour mm-hmm. or two. So that's all on I me. Mean. But we had so much fun. Uh it was crazy. The weather was fucking crazy.
0: Yeah, it poured rain it on us. Poured rain. It was a little warm. It was a little It was a lot. It was almost warm. like tornado weather. It was in tornado Montgomery last yeah. weekend. But it was super cool. It was lots of fun. Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah, and yeah. And we like danced and like got down and boogied <laughs> and just had a really good time and met lots of really cool ass
0: people. Yes. Yes. Chad to dance. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. We, we were Child missing our... Box fan Chad is here this morning with us Yay, and with bartender Chad. Courtney. And we missed our Chad last weekend. Because he would have been, like, tearing up the dance floor. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, definitely pump up the jam. I mean, they're playing like
0: all the old time, like high school. She was a great, well, and but it was like, it was actually a mix. It was like, she was reading the room really well. She did. She's so, like, oh, old ladies,
1: pump up the jam. Uh, seriously.
0: <laughs> she played Ice Ice Baby and like half the room was like, yes! <laughs> and then the next thing she played, I didn't recognize, but the other half of the I room know. was like, yes! It was okay. And there's like, obviously
1: about four different versions of the electric slide that <laughs> oh I yeah kind of- I was out
0: of the room during that and I came back in and I was like wait this isn't but it is. Mm-hmm. I'm so confused. Wow. So
1: really the way to kind of fake the electric slide if you don't know what version you're on, like what's going on. is like if you were standing in the back, you can get away with it until the back becomes the front. <laughs> and then when the back becomes the front, that's like it's your time to just throw down. So they think that they, like you're taking a solo or something. <laughs> yeah, and then you're like, okay, I'm going to stay up. Some direction, and now I'm back in the flow not knowing what the fuck I'm doing.
0: <laughs> Dancing lessons with Patrice. <laughs> oh my gosh. But that was so much fun. Yeah, we had a blast. So hopefully hopefully we'll get to do it again some other time. So uh, yeah, we'll look out for it. We have decided that um, the rest of... The rest of 2019 is going to be more restful than this last few weeks. So yes. we're, we're going to do normal, normal shows, um, nothing else live for the rest of this year. And then right. we will have on December 13th.
1: Friday the 13th
0: which is a yeah a Friday (laughs) is actually our one year anniversary as a podcast Mm -hmm. so I don't know whether we're doing anything like special show but I'm sure we'll scream a lot and cheers a lot and we might be extra drunk so (laughs) that's gonna happen on December 13th and then after that we've decided that we're gonna take like a a, just a couple weeks of hiatus because we need a break
1: and we have to like be Santa Claus.
0: Yeah, we have to do all the stressful holiday things that you guys have to do, right. so we're going to <laughs> drop some of that stress off and uh, pick up again in be January. Be fresh.
1: That's right, for the new decade.
0: But we'll be with you
1: until then, so. Ooh. Yes. Cool. So, what are we drinking here? This what is, is this called. Cider Old Fashioned. Apple cider old fashioned, which is very like Christmassy, Thanksgivingy, mm-hmm. and refreshing.
0: Cinnamon stick and orange slice An and apple, apple slice.
1: very wholesome. After all the Halloween candy that I have
0: been like, my son's <laughs> <laughs> going, like going after. I'm still eating it. Yeah, it's sitting right here. <laughs> I, I, I'm trying.
1: I'm trying to be like mindful of, but yeah, I'm gonna eat the rest of the bowl. I mean, who's yeah. who's kidding yeah. anybody? <laughs> but my son's <laughs> been going around going diabetes.
0: <laughs> diabetes. <laughs> I got the diabetes. <laughs> oh, I was
1: like, shut up. Here's a candy bar. Uh, am I going? I think I'm going first today. Which is kind of horrifying.
0: Yeah, you're really going first. I was expecting to drink a little bit more. You went second last time, I'm so now you're going first. Did.
1: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I'm trying to figure out how to best start this. I really should like spend more time like getting a nice lead in, but basically, my tale is set in New Orleans, and uh, during 1728, it was full of men it was like <laughs> trappers it was, it raining, was raining men, men right <laughs> uh, like soldiers trappers uh explorers so all of these people as they were sell- settling in this territory um it was mostly men folk right mm-hmm. so this is going to be the urban legend of the casket girls Okay. I've never Have heard, of, you of, heard this. of the casket girls. No. I hadn't either until I just ran across them for some of my research. So, this is the legend. So, in 1728, a group of young women um, arrived to La Nouvelle, New Orleans, which is like what the French fucking call New Orleans back in wait. the day. Oh, it's
0: all the French today. All the French
1: today. You know, I'm fucking it up, French style. Um, That's dirty. And uh, so they they come to New Orleans and they've spent like six months on, God forbid. I mean, I get car sick just like riding across town. So six months (laughs) on a fucking ship from France to New Orleans sounds like pure hell. So when they get off... um, Uh, The people notice that the women, because, of course, women are leaving the boat and they are carrying this casket. Each one of them has a casket. Um, And in the casket contains like all of their belongings or clothes and stuff like that. Uh, And apparently the Bishop of Quebec... um, on an order by the French King handpicked all of these women for their age appropriateness and background and their virtuosity, um, virtuous women mm-hmm. to send to these men of new Orleans. Um, <laughs> God bless them. Mm-hmm. But, um, so the age that we're talking about though, is like 12 to 17. <laughs> yeah. So Ew, this is a
0: disturbing story. Oh, already, it, yes. Know. It mm-hmm.
1: gets worse. Um, so and when you say casket, like you mean m- like casket. casket. Okay. well I'll, I'll go into more details okay. about the casket later on. So, Ooh. um they were to make a good match and marry one of the French colonists um, that were inhabiting the Louisiana colony. So it's basically like a sex trade, yeah, um, you know, male order bride kind of situations, although they fooled a lot of these young women into believing that this was they were getting a good deal. Kind of deal. This was like their duty to God or whatever. Mm. Um, So when they got off the ship, though, rumors started to come up from the people in New Orleans because they didn't look like wholesome brides. (laughs) They were like really pale. A lot of them were sickly. Tuberculosis was going on, which is you know mm. very contagious in the ships, I mean, and it, it caused them to like too. yeah cough up blood. Mm-hmm. So there there were like blood stains on the clothing and oh my on God. the mouth and stuff like that. And so they were like all these sickly girls getting off, and they're like, "This is not what we were promised." And holy fuck. Right, so um, poor girl, and they got off. You know, after this horrendous to New Orleans, which has this subtropical climate. It's like mosquitoes, malaria, yellow fever. Like it's hot as there's no deodorant it <laughs> smells like shit and they're getting handed over to a hairy frenchman yes they're getting like sweaty hairy frenchman right and so as soon as they get off the ship their skin starts to turn red and a lot of them get like sun blisters mm-hmm. and stuff because they they're kept in they're kept in the cabin they're not mm-hmm. like allowed on the deck during this time they were under Neath the ship whatever ship words. Um, <laughs> you know, the whole time mm-hmm. because of they of their virtue. They were they were meant to be kept apart from like I guess the sailors, which I could totally imagine. That was that was probably good for them. God. But they Sounds were like called Yeah, they were called uh a I like and okay. so this is like the casket girls, and they were to remain under the care and protection of the Ursuline non- nuns who were already there in New Orleans and starting to establish um, a convent. And so uh, the fate of these casket girls were not as expected. Um, the local men, uh, and they called them the Vukere, Vu Vukere. See, I'm sorry. (laughs) All right. Which basically means old square in French, which is the French quarter. So the men of the French quarter, I couldn't fucking say French quarter. (laughs) Um, uh, Men of the French quarter, like, were very disrespectful of women, as you can imagine. They probably didn't grow up around women. They are like, you know, the wild men of the swamps and stuff. I just, it's just, I'm cringing all over. So they gravely disrespected the women. So these women were placed in unwanted marriages. They were mistreated by their husbands, and others found themselves alone and wed. And if they couldn't make any money, they went into the sex trade. Ugh. Um. So the French King heard about this and had had enough. And he demanded that the girls return to France. And so the sisters of the convent, the Ursuline convent, um, you know, they, it's not known as the girls. Supposedly, this is still the urban legend. The girls disappeared and the nuns took their caskets and put them upstairs in the convent there on the third story and just locked it away. And, um, One of them went up to check and they looked into the the caskets and there was nothing in the caskets. So this starts kind of the vampire origin story about these girls, the casket girls being vampires. And so because they like really were, um, you know, all this rumors and stuff were going around, they uh, boarded up the attic part where the caskets were of the third story of this convent and they had like nails that were blessed by the Pope, um, hammered into the windows so that no evil could get out. And, um, you know, it remained that way for a really uh, long time. And, uh, you know, they bolted the doors, they nailed the windows and they locked it in place. But again, the whispering of vampires because the girls were so pale. They had blood stains and blood on their mouth. And so all of this really like fueled the legend and stuff. And so supposedly in 1978, you have two paranormal investigators seeking answers about the casket girls being vampires. And they actually got kicked out of the property for laudering and stuff, but they snuck back on that night to the convent. To the convent um, to stay to see because there was like one of the shutters was like askew and they wanted to see if anything crawled out of it. And the next morning, the bodies of the investigators were yeah. found drained of blood. <gasps> <laughs> um And so that's basically what you'll hear if you go on the ghost tour and the vampire tour in New Orleans about the casket girls and and kind of, you know, the legend that continues to go on about being vampires. Mm -hmm. Well, the vampire part, you know, of course, being like Anne Rice came along Mm -hmm. and blew up the vampire culture and now people are like making a living out of being vampires and writing about vampires. Like it's really prolific nowadays, but there are the casket girls did exist and they did come over from France. Um, but it's a little bit different story. So I'm going to talk about that. Mm -hmm. So the casket girls, um, that came to new Orleans was not the first program and they called it like a program, um, established by King Louis, the 14th of France. Uh, he actually pulled in like one of the, um, there was a uh, Canadian colony of new France, which is now Quebec. Uh, and in 1663, one of the, um, One of the people that was, like, in control of it wrote to the king and said, you know, we are not going to survive as a colony unless we have females because it's all men. And obviously, you know, there's been
0: no births or or things going on, right? (laughs) No miraculous No miraculous. (laughs) Like, like You'd think that they would have made that connection earlier on. It's like, this is just poor planning. It
1: was very poor planning. So um, what they did is they, they went through this stringent process. Process, bless them of getting women um, from the age of 12 to 25 and the women had to provide a like a letter of like uh, from their parish like claiming that they were virtuous and, and not heathens and Ugh. you know so it's like this real this application process was like really like detailed and they managed they called um they called these girls to kind of like promote I meant like marketing campaign like flyers and you know all this are you stuff. twelve years old are you twelve years Have old you had sex yet <laughs> do you like you Harry the Frenchman? Lord? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we got some hairy Frenchmen for you. <laughs> um but they were called okay, here's another uh the Fils du Bois. Du Bois Du Bois. Oh. Uh so which means the king's daughter. So they gave them, do you want to be a king's daughter? And they're like, fuck yeah, do I inherit his thing? And um, so over like the next 10 years. Do I inherit his thing? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. You know, the French. Um, so over the next 10 years, like over 800 young women made the voyage from France to ca- uh, Canada for this program of like repopulating Quebec. Um, But, of course, a lot of them died en route to Montreal. Uh, A lot of them was, like, waiting to get on the ship to sail for, you know, months. And they were like, fuck this. And they went back home and lived a nice, peaceful life, probably starving in their village. Um, And then others, you know, died along the way and, uh, you know... It was just, it was rough. So out of those 800, we don't really know how many actually successfully made it over there and how successful this really was. Um... A couple of years later, this idea, after the women started coming over, because, you know, people have to be fuckheads, that the women sent over, there were sex workers, or women of middling virtue, um, and obviously the person who said this was a woman hater, or either got rebuked, or turned down, or just, you know, sad person, Uh But, you know, they made a big stink about it, and they said that the reason that they chose to immigrate over is because they needed religious absolution from their sins, because they were ladies of the night and desperately needed God in their
0: lives. So... It sounds like the only options at this point were, like, the nunnery or the brothel.
1: Right. Well, that is the the truth. I mean, you've got a 50-50 shot. I really think that that is, you know, that is the truth. Um, So, you know, of the 800 women who were sent over to New France, only one woman actually was charged with sex work. And her name was Catherine Guchelin. That's what we're going to say it is. Um, And she only turned to sex work after her husband decided that he'd much rather live back in France and abandoned her and her children in the New World.
0: Son of a bitch. You know, honestly, I mean, how do you charge a woman with sex work when you're basically pimping them out across the seas? (laughs) Exactly. Just because you're pimping them out for God doesn't make it not sex work. Mm
1: -hmm. So this worked for, yeah, for the king of France. And so in 1704, uh, they decided they would like try this Program Again, because somebody wrote in saying that they needed more women and this next group of women were sent to Biloxi, um, which was a French colony at the time. And so Biloxi, if you're not from the south or from the area is a city today, down on the Gulf Coast of Mississippi. And so they came in a ship called the Pelican. So they were also kind of named the Pelican Girls. So if you heard of the Pelican Girls, this is the same group of women that we were talking about. And they came because Jean-Baptiste Lamonnet uh, sur Bienville... (laughs) yes i got close well done i got close okay y'all shut the fuck up i got close <laughs> so um he wrote to the king of france and said like we need broads for his soldiers and the men of biloxi and uh, he said that his men were chasing through the woods in pursuit of native american mistresses oh
0: my so God. they
1: were probably pillaging any poor woman mm. in sight and by pillaging like, i'm think... doing like I'm, and they really mm. say nice words They were probably fucking raping yeah, yeah. Left and right all over the place And he's like this has got to stop We've got to like Pull in some I guess You know respectable quote unquote Which is a slap in the face to those poor women mm-hmm. um, You know French women uh, t- for, To make wives And honest men I guess Because that's what soldiers want all Right? They, exactly. want wives. they want wives wives." And so uh, he agreed to this, and he sent only 23 young women in the care of the Sisters of Charity. So he sent, like, these very, like, virtuous virgin with these nuns and priests and stuff um, guarding their virginity. And they ranged from, like, 14 to 19 uh, to Biloxi um, as necessary broad material you know during this time and that that was like the quintessential of like the uh turn of the century 18th century like that's what you want your bride you know virtuous mm-hmm. uh, young oh, sorry
0: <laughs> um
1: uh, for you know these hardcore men which it just seems doesn't seem like it's gonna work Um, so the letter written by Bienville to the king read his majesty send by that ship 20 girls to be married to the Canadians, which I guess is they're talking about the Frenchmen and others who began habitations of Mobile. And again, while we're talking about Mobile instead of Biloxi, I may have just. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Just, all right. That's okay. <laughs> that's all right. Well, Mobile, Slide right on. Mobile Slide right on. Mobile
1: comes that. into the play. So Mobile gets his share of women near too, the water. Right. Um, but basically, you know, the girls were raised in virtue and piety and know how to work, which will render them useful in the colony by showing the Indian girls what they can do. For this being no point in sending others than a virtue known and without reproach. So they're like, we're gonna send you like these, these virgins over, and they're going to teach all you know the native people how to be virgins, be respectable, <laughs> hardworking virgins. Um, and when they did this, you know, Biloxi blossomed. So they're, like, success for Ooh. 23 girls, which, I, yeah, whatever. However, in 1721, he requested more girls. So Bienville went over to New Orleans, and, you know, New Orleans was this, like, cesspool of men, like, chasing around the poor natives and the um, and the indentured slaves there. And uh, he... He's like, we need more women. And so the king's like, fuck, man. Uh, So he ends up going to a house of corrections and sends over a bunch of women who were destitute. And most were sex workers. And, you know, they were all meant to be proper wives. And... When they came, they said that they added to the terse and debauched environment already raging in New Orleans. And I'm just like, yeah, fuck y'all.
0: <laughs>
1: so after that, so that last batch of women who were not virginal um, that came over, I'm just amazed that people like just... I'm sure they were dying left and right, but could just like... Just hard. I mean, I'm such a wuss. If I would, like, come over and you dumped me off from, like, France, which I assume is kind of temperate, to fucking New Orleans or the coast where it's hot and there's fucking mosquitoes everywhere, I would be so pissed. <laughs> um, so after, like, that, that project was kind of, like, you know a no-go they did it one more time and that kind of stained the reputation what could have brought the rumors for the 1728 uh casket girls that came to new orleans Mm. everybody kind of already had a bad taste in their mouth um for whatever reason uh about that and that led to um the rumors of them being evil and supernatural and all that So let's talk about the caskets that they carried when they came over. So casket was actually not a word that was associated with burial or death. And I do think it's like Nathan Hawthorne, Nathaniel Hawthorne, Mm -hmm. uh, wrote somewhere that it was kind of a vile term um, to use casket for the meaning of uh, a box that holds a dead person. Mm. Uh, But I think there was a confusion because the French word for cassette um, is I think kind of gotten muddied into casket. Mm. And so what Americans in the, um, 1900s considers like a box to bury your dead in a casket, they think the cassette, which the French were talking about during this time was the same thing, but it's not. So a cassette, uh, is basically a little small box mm-hmm. that ladies would carry all their like dowry jewels and belongings with them when they traveled. That so makes it, so much more sense. It's, was it so much like you know a casket? I know as a cassette.
0: Because we're picturing this twelve year old like, pale uh, pasty girl right? with tuberculosis with carrying coughing a casket up. over her shoulder. Yes,
1: but I mean, and that's kind of goes along with the urban legend that they perpetuate over New Orleans. Mm-hmm. So the nuns, they, the girls were taken in by nuns and they, they were in the process of, um, building a convent and actually like they had other accommodations, um, for the Ursuline nuns that came over from France to, um, You know, their mission was to educate women in the colonies and to, uh, you know, convert them over to Christ um, as well as the natives. And they took charge of these women and they gave them a place to live and they gave them like, uh, you know, schooling and they put them to work and they started to turn the convent like into an orphanage. And um, and basically, the convent took everybody in. So they had these young women there to help take in people and take care and feed um, all the people that they uh, they carried uh, that they took in. And also, the women were um, you know they found somebody. Then they were married off, hopefully to a good person. But the first convent wasn't built until 1734, so that kind of debunks the 1728 of them coming and moving into the convent deal. So that was the first convent that was built, and the existing convent that's still there today, that is a museum, you can do the tour and whatnot, was actually built in 1751, so many years later. That was built. And the old Ursuline Convent is actually the oldest building building in the Mississippi Valley. So it's like, it survived like the fire. I think there was like a fire of 1788 in New Orleans or something like that. And um, it survived that uh, building. But the nuns were kind of the cool thing about the nuns is that they, um, so they lived in other quarters and when they went out being all chased and stuff, nobody ever saw the nuns. Like they always like were in covered wagons or Mm. covered coaches and they just like wouldn't go walking down the streets like you would think, you know, like normal people do. They always, you know, kind of were very secretive. And, um, but whenever, when they're, uh, convent was finally built they like packed up all of their stuff and they fucking paraded it down the middle of the street new orleans style to their new convent Hmm. so it's like all all of a sudden all of these nuns appear and they had children dressed up as angels so they were like being sort of rebellious for nuns and they (laughs) were like telling the people of new orleans we are here We've got this big-ass convent. We're pure. pure. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And they were basically Mm. saying, we're going to be watching you. You need to clean up your act. Um, So it was kind of a statement saying that we're now established. We're going to be watching you. You better clean up your act, you know, act right and whatnot. So, But that was kind of a a rebellious thing for the nuns of this convent to do at the time, but I thought it was very interesting. So when they went there, it is also rumored that it was also because it was like this big, loud affair kind of to distract because they were carrying long boxes behind them on wagons. And so that kind of added to the myth of the caskets that were going up because supposedly they were now in charge of making sure this evil um, of these vampire girls that don't, you know, are not being released into the city. They're being contained. Oh. And so it was said that they took that and um put that up in the third story. And if you look at the picture of the convent, um, the attic part, it, it's like shuttered, but it's um hurricane shutters. So it's all oh. sealed up and um and really like uh, you know, it looks very closed off, which it being so hot, you really you want to open up your attic in the south, you know, if it's not central air and heat because it's so fucking hot. Mm. But I got a lot, there's um, there's actually a girl named Stephanie Harlow on YouTube, and I watched one of her YouTubes, uh, she has a show called um, Harloween, mm-hmm. and she did a segment on the Casket Girls, that's really informative, she's very concise, she pronounces everything fucking right.
0: <laughs> and um,
1: so much different than me right now, but she got a lot of her information, because she interviewed an author, Marita Crandall, who wrote this book on vampires in New Orleans, and marita crandall actually went up into the ad because <gasps> nobody's gone up there they wouldn't let people tour up there and so supposedly the archdiocese said that it was just archives and records and stuff being stored up there because everybody's like the legend perpetuated and nowadays like what's in there you got to tell us yeah. and we're going to make up all these things that are in there if you don't tell us what it is <laughs> and so she actually went up there and took photos and you can see this on her youtube video and i'll post the link and it's what happened is the nuns built six bedrooms five or six bedrooms up there um, contained rooms and when she went up there one of the rooms it was really weird it's like they have these built-in square uh, rectangular coffin size holes in the floor like it's like stairs stairs downstairs upstairs down it's like Mm -hmm. you know just these rectangle and it's just weird and so you know some of those were in the rooms and um if you go on down there's like a brick enclosure and then a room that was all brick and there was change uh chains in this (laughs) all brick room and it had like what's called a dutch door which was basically um you know a door that locked at the bottom and then you opened it up like this Mm -hmm. and so she was kind of like what the fuck yeah what's going on but what happened is the nuns besides taking in orphans they also took in the mentally ill mm-hmm. and so they put the mentally ill up there and the uh brick room and because you know wood absorbs urine and all uh, the other bodily fluids uh they would keep them in brick rooms because it'd be easier to wash and they wouldn't absorb um all the stuff so which is really horrible because if you think i mean applaud them for taking in you know the mentally ill but if you think about how fucking hot new orleans gets and to be Mm. on a top floor attic
0: in a brick room in a
1: brick room you are literally in an oven it is chaining them up and chaining
0: oh so did it explain what the little like holes in the floor were that's Mm -mm. shady i don't know man
1: yeah i don't know but um yeah that is my story the new orleans casket girls that's
0: cool that's (laughs) very cool i've never heard of any of that
1: i know i was like what the fuck this happened but yeah there's there's a lot of information on it and um you know just early sex i mean fuck sex trades have been going on since the beginning of time since Mm -hmm. sex right (laughs) uh but it's just horrible and i i just can't imagine like what our ancestor women went through back in the day it's like i have so much respect for women back then and all the shit that they had to put up with and just in order to survive Mm. bless them Uh.
0: well done all right let's take a break The Goat House Beer Garden in Montgomery is our favorite place to go when we're in Alabama's capital, whether it's to do a show, to visit a dilapidated movie set, or to flip off the governor's mansion. (laughs) So I was
1: talking to James, and he was telling me that the Goat House highlights local artists, singer-songwriters, makers, chefs, brewers, and entrepreneurs of all types, just like the strange South, Mm -hmm. big supporter. They intentionally support only original content because they believe that communities
0: become Grow and sustain when creatives and entrepreneurs thrive. It's a great atmosphere, great company, and a lot of fun. And it's less than 10 minutes from Hank Williams' grave, which is haunted. So, next time you go to say hi to old Hank, stop by the Goat House Beer Garden. We're back. We are back. Um, so, yes, I don't believe we've done this before. And oh, oh, there was something I was supposed to say in show notes, and I didn't say it. Okay. Um, and the listener lore that we released right before this, the theater one, the theater one, mm-hmm. had um, one from Birmingham Southern that our friend Jen recorded about a ghost named Charlie that lived up in the catwalks. Right. And yes. um, another friend of ours, Teresa. Her wife, Gina, works at Birmingham Southern and did theater there. And she told me this past week that she asked Gina to listen to it. And Gina said, okay, I listened to two things. Oh, no. <laughs> and one of them was a correction to when the building was built. I think she said it was 1968. Um, but uh, the other one, it's not a correction. It's a, it's, it's a different version of the story. So I guess when she was there... The story was that Charlie was actually a theater student oh. who had what was it? Had gotten hit in the head with an I beam. Oh and my god. Fallen from the catwalk and died. And that was why his ghost haunted uh, the theater.
1: So, did he like run into an I beam or did the I beam okay. swing out of somewhere and knock him? I don't
0: know. Okay. I don't know the specifics. Because I would
1: be the one to nail myself in the head with an I beam, like Ugh. walking, like you're not, you're like watching your feet so you don't fucking die. Yeah. And then. You hit yourself in the head really hard. Oh, yeah.
0: About. There are so many ways to kill yourself it in the theater. So, oh,
1: my gosh. I, I cannot
0: do. It's terrifying I up do there. I cannot
1: do that catwalk. <laughs> I look up there, and I'm like, there's actually people are supposed to go up there. In no the dark. thank you. Oh, in the dark. I oh, know. Yeah. In that the dark. That blew me away, like, watching people when we did our show there, just walking around. I'm mm-hmm. like, how are you not tripping? And f- so this would be me as <laughs> one of those people.
0: <laughs> Ow. Oh. Fuck! My (laughs) toe! You hear Patrice cursing over the (laughs) headphones. Yes. Uh, Well, okay. So, this was actually, like, our friend Lauren texted me, have you ever done this? Hmm. Like two days ago. And I was planning on doing something else today. But since I got on the internet and I was like, I don't know, I'll look this up. I just decided I was going to do this today instead. Okay. Which might be why it's not particularly well prepared. But um, this is the story of Nanny Doss, the giggling granny. Do you know this? No. Has either of you heard of this? All right. Oh, yay. New to
1: everybody today.
0: Well, here's what's going to make it amazing this is a local story. Okay. Um, So uh, Nancy Doss was born in 1905 in Blue Mountain, Alabama okay which is not far from where we are it's it's sort of just north of Aniston, technically I think it's a part of Aniston now like postal code wise but um it's it's hill hill and farming country it's like just at the, the base of the hills okay and um she had her mom uh I guess it's Lou Lisa Lou mm-hmm. uh was a was a kind person her dad James Hazel was... um, Oh, I said Nancy Doss, but she was born Nancy Hazel. Sorry. Um, Her dad, James Hazel, was uh, kind of an asshole. And so, you know, he... Stories go he beat the children. Um, He was definitely, like, a control freak. Mm. So Nancy, who went by nanny, Mm -hmm. had three younger sisters and a brother. They Like, you read stories about this, and they talk like it's unusual that she... Just kind of went to school when she could, and other days her dad just kept everybody home to work on the farm. That's not unusual. No, in like in like 1910 in Blue Mountain. Oh, well, that's in, in the rural area, oh, yeah. that's what happened. <clears throat> I mean. That's just how it was. So I think, yeah, it, mm-hmm. yeah, that's true. In the 60s, even. I mean, it's just kind of how things worked Mm -hmm. um so for a a lot of families in that area this was the norm but everybody was like she had such an unhappy childhood well sounds like she did but that wasn't really unusual right um so her dad was abusive Mm -hmm. um he he was controlling like to the point that he didn't let like when his daughters started to get a little bit older like past childhood they weren't allowed to They weren't allowed to wear makeup, no dresses, no silk stockings. They couldn't do their hair. They couldn't go to dances. They couldn't go socialize. Mm. Like, he was like, I will pick your husband. Uh.
1: It was basically
0: like, you know, if I'm going to lose my field hand, Mm -hmm. it's going to be on my terms. Right. Um, And so Nanny was the oldest of all the kids. She has, like, a very, very healthy teenage libido. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She's dark haired. She's pretty. She smiles all the time. And she's like raring to go so she Honey, would sneak use out it while yeah. you have it right she, she like she would sneak out and go to the haylofts and mm-hmm. like you know have her a time and um you know i think the ready part was really what most of the the dudes were into <laughs> they were just like <laughs> hey you wanna um but so in in 1921 she went to work at the linen thread company in blue mountain um, <clears throat> cause there were a lot of textile mills and, you know, um, cotton mills in this area around then in Anniston and blue mountain. And she worked with a guy named Charlie Braggs and she was only 16 when she went to work there. She brought the guy home for dinner one night and her dad really liked him. And that was kind of unfortunate because mm. that meant she married him four months later because her dad really liked him. Right. And this kid, Charlie, his mother, was sickly and had no husband, and so she moved in with them immediately and so where nanny thought she's getting away from this control <laughs> she's getting away from this controlling dad, she's like inheriting this extra controlling mother-in-law no fuck Who decides like we want to go out like they say we want to go out tonight and all of a sudden she gets a stomach ache or you know I mean it's like she she goes sick whenever mm. she doesn't get her way and so it's it's kind of a mm. not the best existence um she has four kids in 5 years oh, fuck the first melvina in 1923 the last one was florine in 1927 and i was just like god i can't even imagine like living with your controlling sickly mother-in-law who yells all the time and four babies between the ages of like 0 and five. it just shows
1: you the control of women man to put up with some shit yeah, and not just kill everybody
0: seriously. So he <laughs> will, <laughs> she, she takes to smoking and drinking, which I think all of us can probably understand why. Mm-hmm. Um, <coughs> but her kind of personal, like not even guilty pleasure was her mom had always subscribed to these romance magazines. They used to, these pulp magazines, which is funny. I looked these up and they do still publish, I think true romance magazine and true confessions. Like it's, it's basically short stories that are the same as the romance novels with like the you know, tall, dark stranger, giant pecs and oiled dude on the front cover. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, she read these all the time. This is like her escape from everything was she would swoon over these love stories because her real life was like a piece of shit. And, um, and so that was what she did to cope. And then when that wasn't working anymore, she started sneaking away to meet guys again And Charlie did it too. So the two of them are like running around on each other all the time. They're hardly ever home at the same time. Mother-in-law does die naturally at some point in here, but their situation doesn't improve because they're pretty far gone. And um, then one day in 1927, Charlie leaves for work while his four children are eating breakfast. He gets a call at lunchtime to come home. The two middle children are dead. Oh my God. And it's suspected that she you know nanny says food poisoning and they were two and three years old so the weird thing to people around here is charlie kind of looks at nanny when he comes home from work and finds out that this has happened grabs their four-year-old says i'm done and takes her and he's like we're not gonna live with you and um the newborn florine stays with nanny because he can't really take her right um But there's, there's this genealogist who's a cousin twice removed of Nanny. Her name is Sherby Green. And she said, Charlie Braggs went on record to say that he was scared of his wife for everybody in the family, that he never drank or ate anything she prepared because she was a great cook. She cooked all the time, but he wouldn't drink or eat anything she did when she was in a bad mood. And, um... You know, everybody else thought that, like, the fact that she cooked all the time was a sign of a really, like, happy home life. You know, she was good at being domestic and all this kind of stuff. And she would, like, outline all their meals and have menus and everything. (sighs) But it sounds like that may not have been Mm. a sign of happiness. Right. Well executed poison plan. Yeah. So if any of this sounds remotely familiar. Yes, it does. It might be because Audrey Marie Hilly. Is she related to her? Was born. She's not related to her. But she was born in Blue Mountain, Alabama (gasps) in 1933. Her mother, Lucille Frazier, worked in the linen thread factory in Blue Mountain in the late 20s. About 10 years uh, after Nanny Doss started working there or less than 10 years after Nanny Doss started working there. So it's not impossible that they even worked there at the same time.
1: Wow. Because
0: Lucille Fraser was working there for several years before Audrey was born. So they were so similar that the first time I started reading about this, one of the sources misidentified Charlie Braggs as Charlie Fraser, almost oh. certainly because Fraser was Audrey Hilly's maiden name. Right. So, like, whatever you want to take from this like weird ass let's all poison our, (laughs) our family members thing that we get from blue mountain, Alabama. But it's also, and I was thinking like, well, like, if people had heard of nanny, In Blue Mountain, because there's, you know, if Charlie up and left his family, everybody everybody was whispering about about it when it happened. And if children was called food poisoning? Yeah, I mean, and it was called, medically called food poisoning, but they didn't, like, autopsy or anything like that. But that was stated as the cause of death. You know everybody around there was talking about Mm -hmm. that. So I'm wondering if, like, that's something that Lucille may have, like, talked about at home and Audrey may have picked up in conversation Mm -hmm. when she was little and just maybe she always heard about it maybe people talked about it but anyway so so after this happens Charlie leaves her Nanny moves back home starts working at a cotton mill in Anniston and eventually Charlie does send Melvina back he gets married to somebody else who already has kids and since Nanny is living with her mother he kind of (laughs) is thinking his kid might be safe because she's Generally going to be the one providing childcare, right? Um, and so nanny keeps on reading her, you know, her stories all the time, and she starts getting really into the lonely hearts column in the newspaper. Um, because you know, she's obsessed with this idea of finding the perfect oh, relation, you know, that all these things are like based on a perfect relationship, which right. is hilarious. Cause all those things in those stories are like completely fucking dysfunctional relationships, but she's right. into this, uh, lonely hearts column and she starts writing to all these men trying to find somebody else to marry. And, uh, this 23 year old guy named Frank Harrelson was actually, I think this guy was from Jacksonville. Oh, wow. Um, he wrote poetry and sent her a little black and white picture, and he was very cute. And so she sent him a cake, which is safe. Okay. And um, so he, he went down to Blue Mountain. In, in 1929, he proposed to her. She accepted. They got married. But it wasn't too long before things went sour in this relationship. So it turns out Frank was an alcoholic. And he had already been in jail for assault and she didn't know any of these things when they got married. He started to abuse her in a lot of the same ways that her father had abused her. Mm. So he would beat her. He would threaten the kids. He would yell. um, And like I said, he was drunk just all the time. So again, she's gotten into this really shitty, you know, marriage situation um, so, um, let's see, despite all of this, she stayed married to Frank for a really long time. So what did I say? They married in 1949 or 1929. 29. Um, and other things that, you know, while, while she's married to them, other things start to happen. So in the early forties, um, Melvina and Florine, the two girls who were left from Charlie's marriage to her, um, were both married themselves, and Melvina's having babies. So she had a son in 1943 named Robert. And in 1945, she goes into labor for with her second kid. And it was a rough pregnancy. Her husband's name was Mosey, I guess, Mosey Haynes. And um, because things weren't going great in the hospital during labor, <clears throat> he went to get nanny because you're supposed to bring mom, right? Right. And um, so she you know, helps through the labor and everything like that. She does everything really just happily. And she just seems like the picture of the grateful grandma. Mm -hmm. And then, um, shortly after the baby is born, like within an hour, the little girl is born and and the child dies. Oh shit. And it's been a really rough labor. So nobody's really that surprised by it. And there was no cause of death though. Mm -hmm. They couldn't figure out what had happened. Right. And, um, The thing is, Melvina was saying that, like, she swore to God she had this dream while she was recovering in that hour after labor before the baby died that she had seen her mother cradling the baby stick a hat pin in its head. What? And she was like, I was drugged up. I can't possibly have really seen this. But it wouldn't leave her head, you know, after she got home from the hospital. So a while later, she mentioned it to her sister and her husband mm-hmm. and they were like, Oh fuck. She had one though. They were like, mom had a hat pin that she was just turning over in her fingers while she was waiting for you to wake up. And so that doesn't prove anything, right? but it's certainly creepy. Um, and then six months later, Melvina's son her older child was staying with nanny and died mysteriously out of of not being sick you know and they called it asphyxia from unknown causes and she was like I don't know what happened I don't know how this could have happened and she just like was the picture of despair and she like people were just floored by how upset and she clearly felt so guilty well a couple months later the $500 life insurance check comes in that she had taken out on the kid. Mm. Not a lot of money, but still kind of weird that she took out a life insurance policy Mm. on her grandkid. Yeah. Um, so in 45, when Japan surrendered in the war and everybody went out to celebrate Frank Harrelson, who she's still married to, she's been 16 years. She's still married to this asshole of a guy is like, oh, I like getting drunk anyways. Everybody's getting drunk. We get to go out and get drunk. And so he goes into town and just gets completely plastered. And when he comes home, he's like wanting to fuck. Mm -hmm. And she's not in it. And he starts threatening her and pounds his fist on the wall and says, if you don't listen to me, I'm not going to be here next week. And so they do have sex that night, but she does not forgive him for it. And she goes out into her rose garden and finds the like mason jar of corn liquor that he like hides away there Mm -hmm. and tops it off with rat poison, closes it back up, just waits for him to find it. And that evening he just mysteriously dies Mm -hmm. at age 38 with horrible stomach pains. Mm. So this is the first like adult death that like she could be right possibly related to right but it's creepy that there's all these it's like she's like testing the shit out on kids like how fucked up is that first
1: of all if you have any kind of like you're suspecting any kind of foul play like were they not i mean people are dying all around it's kind of like you know the woman from the woman later on i forgot her name audrey
0: hilly yeah hilly i mean
1: people start fucking dying around you you don't stay around people
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. well, <and laughs> that this have that worse. effect on the yeah and this yeah. is worse than like nanny's body count goes up i mean she outlasts Hilly by a bit right so like after this and this is why you know while all of this is happening in aniston and and blue mountain and jacksonville then what you're saying is like yeah i mean there are all these weird things happening. Mm-hmm. Definitely wouldn't let her babysit your kids, no. right? I'm right. But, um, you know, then she starts to move. So now, since both of her kids are married and, you know, on their own, and she's not married anymore, um, she just starts to travel around. And there's like a big blank period where you don't really know what happened. And I should say, I got I, pretty much everything I'm talking about today, I got from Murderpedia, which got it from Crime Library. So mm-hmm. those are my sources, and there's more information. But, um, In 1947, she ends up in Lexington, North Carolina, again, because she's been writing to these Lonely Hearts columns in the paper trying to find a husband. And this guy, Arlie Lanning, who used to live in Alabama but has moved to North Carolina, met her for the first time in 1947, and they married two days later. And I guess, like, it takes not long before she finds out he is also a drunk and a cheat. (laughs) And he's sleeping around and giving money to the woman that he kept on the side that he was in going to like, about. the
1: Lonely Hearts column, that's basically, like, grinder or... I was... That's... What's, yeah. You know. I mean, sort of. It's except with marriage. The booty call. Yeah.
0: But, I mean, but they're, pl- you know, they're saying that they're looking for their forever mate, which... I don't know. Those things always... I don't know. I don't know how people... I don't know how people do any of those things. Like, if you... Anytime you're you're setting yourself up to like be in a column or Tinder or grinder or even like OK Cupid or something mm-hmm. like that. It's like you're writing a fiction about yourself to get right. somebody to buy a product. You know? I mean like there's <laughs> oh, no fuck, way. Yes. You can't not. I mean yes. you can't just write a biography of it yourself like, that's honest. I on usually one of those fart
1: things. between eight thirty and then, you know, a <laughs> right? daily bowel movement. I mean you can't like <laughs> You can't put all that shit in there.
0: I know. So it's, it's one of those, it's always going to be kind of, and I know people who have found lifelong love right. on those sites and right. that's amazing and yes. super awesome. And I think it's like, because people then go and meet each other and like drop the shitty pretense. Right. But like a lot of people, I don't think do ever drop the shitty pretense. You know, no. it's like, and nobody's really clear about like what they want. Really. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people go into those and they're like, I don't want to say, I just want to have sex with you. Right. You know, like, Or I don't want to say I actually want a serious relationship with you if you're just out for sex. You know, it's like always that like give and take of like, I don't know what you want, but I'm not going to tell you until you tell me what I, you know. Right. Anyway, that's an aside. (laughs) We'll talk about that (laughs) more Talk in the after show. Um, So anyway, she responds to the lonely heart. She gets married again. And they both just immediately fall into this like, I'm going to go away for a couple months and cheat on you. And then maybe I'll come back later. So, but while she's in Lexington you know, and not traveling around sleeping with other people, she seems like, again, the perfect wife, because she's always baking, and she's always doing housework, and her yard is beautiful, and she's, so I guess, um, good housework,
1: good yards are not the things for good people, like, they're not, they're not the (laughs) indicators of good people, of good people,
0: um, and hers, I guess, one of her sisters, Dovey, has cancer at this point and lives in Gadsden, and she she goes to Gadsden to take care of her. And Arlie's mother is, you know, needs help doing things because she's eighty four, and so she goes to another town and and helps her. So everybody sees this woman who's just like, martyring herself, because also everybody knows that Arlie is fucking around, and so like she seems like the angel of town and she starts going to the methodist church and you know everybody in the church kind of gathers around her is like oh she's so You know, like Mm -hmm. long-suffering. And at this time, you know, TV starts to get to be a bigger deal, and she gets a TV in the house, and it's like it takes over from what she used to watch. read these true romances, and she still does, but now she's got, like, soap operas. Mm -hmm. So now it's like her favorite thing, and she's just, like, engrossing herself in these fake imaginary stories of people finding true love. And so um, one day... Imagine <laughs> in nineteen fifty, Arlie just falls dead. Oh, imagine that. And they say it was Sense a heart common? failure. Nobody is surprised. You know, everybody kinda hated Arlie, it sounds like. So nobody's gonna look into it. Nobody's gonna suspect her because she's been like putting up with him running around all this time. Right. So the, the good whole church town lady. Yeah, the whole town like comes together to support Nanny and her grief. And um and she said, like, he just sat down one morning to drink a cup of coffee and eat a bowl of prunes. I especially <gasps> prepared for him. Mm. <laughs> and and, uh, and you know, then two days later, the he was dead. I know, right? <laughs> prunes seemed to be one of her, like, choice. It was like this apple prune pie or cake or whatever combination was, like, I guess it hides rat poison really well. Mm. Um, and then, so in eight weeks after he dies, the home that they lived in burns down. Oh, wow. And... um. It was it this article that I found said it was a stroke of luck for Nanny because if it had survived, it would have gone to Arlie's sister. But because it burned down, the insurance money went to Nanny. And it just so happened that she had left the house with her TV set in the back of her car earlier that day. Oh, just a little repair (laughs) happening. Yeah. Biggie. Just small day. Yeah, exactly. So um So Mm -hmm. Nanny goes and cashes this insurance check, and interesting, Arlie's mom suddenly dies in her sleep, and then Nanny goes to stay with her sister, Dovey, in Gadsden for a couple days with her TV, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and she dies in her sleep.
1: Her sister does? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Huh.
0: And um, so then, of course, she's traveling again. She doesn't have anybody to keep her in North Carolina anymore, um, Just looking
1: for a place to plug her TV in.
0: Exactly. All she needs is a dude to kill and some rat poison and a television. And she joins this thing called the Diamond Circle Club, which was like an annual fee, like people looking for partners. Yeah, it's like, it's like swingers club well no it's it's like tinder it's like match.com okay you know so that's what she's doing she's like drawing people in Mm -hmm. and in 1952 she meets richard morton of kansas you can be pretty i mean you can guess what's going to happen in the rest of these what is her
1: total like death
0: count it ends up being 11 proven and a suspected more my god um because they don't autopsy and exhume everyone Mm -hmm. over the course of the 20 years that she most likely kills people um so you know this guy he he messes around he's also in debt and he never told her and you know so of course you know this guy is on her shit list Mm -hmm. because she doesn't like being married he does not fit her perfect guy you know idea but unfortunately in the course of her time married to him her mother her father dies Um, nanny's dad uh, James Hazel dies and so mama Lou comes to live with them Mm -hmm. and um, it sounds like she kind of got in the way of whatever nanny was planning on doing Mm -hmm. and Lou was not ill but um, she suddenly started having horrible stomach pains and Mm. died shortly after moving in with them and then three months later, um, Richard, the new husband, dies of the same holy shit symptoms. And nobody is asking questions Question. because also it's like, you know, with these it's like she's moving into town. And so it's, they don't know, they don't, they're not invested all in all these like, other, the yeah, yeah, all these stories. And plus her mom's old, so it's yeah. kind of like
1: if they don't know her mom and then she dies, they're like, oh, it's just an old person. Yeah, dying. when
0: the sick and the ill are going, so, um, and then, okay, so she goes and she meets again in these columns. Um, <clears throat> let's see, this one was Oklahoma, Sam Doss, and this guy is different than all these other guys. He does not fuck around on her. He does not drink. He is, like, the stolid, like, Christian conservative. I don't smoke. I don't play dice. I don't swear. Um, And so it's funny. The article said Sam Doss was unbelievably, irrevocably boring. (laughs) (laughs) And he was 59. He was attractive. Um, He looked – you know, he took good care of himself, And um, so he proposed to Nanny in 1953. And the thing is, though, here's what here's what went wrong with Sam Doss. He didn't like television. He didn't like true romance. He thought it was a waste of time Mm -hmm. and a sinful like idleness. Mm -hmm. Um, he thought television was and radio were like tools for education, and if they weren't going to be used for educational purposes, they shouldn't be used at all. The um, devil. He had a nine thirty bedtime, and everyone in the house was required well, to. I make can that. appreciate that actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Chad's like that's late. Um, he he was very frugal, um, so he didn't he didn't like to spend money. So all these things are right. raining on her parade one hundred percent. Um, so then that September or is it, I I don't even know actually if it's the same year that they get married or not, but, um, you know, he, she made a prune cake after dinner Prunes. and that night he starts to have violent stomach pains Mm, and um, there's just the prunes. I know it's just the prunes. I don't, why were prunes so, why were so many people even willing to eat prunes in the first place? That's what, it must've been much more popular then, but, um. So he was in bed. He lost 16 pounds in several days and his doctor finally sent him to the hospital. He was in the hospital for almost a month, but they diagnosed severe infection to the digestive tract, which was probably true, but also probably right. a result of, you know, arsenic poisoning. Correct. Yes. Um, and they finally, you know, felt like he was better. They had treated him October 5th. They sent him back home. She gave him one night and then the next day, I want to give you a great meal to celebrate your coming back. Mm-hmm. And she made him a roast and coffee with arsenic in it. Mm-hmm. And he died at midnight. Dang. Um, this time, though, because he'd been in the hospital for a month and the doctors were like, "Um, we did a fucking good job with mm-hmm. this guy. There was nothing wrong with him when we went home. He should not have died two days later. Right. So the doctor ordered an autopsy and discovered that he had enough arsenic in his system to kill a team of horses. Dang. So Nanny Doss was promptly arrested. And this is where her, she's called the giggling granny or the jolly widow. And it comes from the attitude that she had when she was arrested. So apparently she wore out like four teams of investigators. (laughs) <laughs>
1: oh my
0: god! <laughs> because that is the best. She just sat there and apparently she started and she had one of her little true romance magazines in the investigation room uh-huh. with her and she wouldn't look at them. She just kept on thumbing through her magazine and she was like, I don't know why you're talking to me. And she was very honey sweet and uh-huh. she giggled when she talked and you know she was like well this is just ridiculous mm-hmm. and she's older now she's you know in her late in her mid 50s i guess or no wait she she was younger than him no older i mean she was like but it, and she was a grandmother at this point and you know so they were they said it couldn't It was very weird to be interviewing her Uh, about this kind of stuff. And she was giving them nothing. Right. So they interviewed her over the course of a lot of time. And they finally. (laughs) warm out. She did. Because they would have to just leave and say, like, I don't know what to do now. Right. Like, she has to tell us, but we don't know what else to do. And they said, you know, we have um, we've made phone calls. We have found other people that have that this has happened to and she said are you saying that i killed all my husbands and that's just foolish all 12 of them and i know and so he finally takes away the magazine and you know so she they finally get her to do it and she goes okay okay and (laughs) you know she she talks about pouring you know arsenic in the coffee of DOS because that's the one she was arrested and convicted for right and she said he wouldn't let me watch my favorite programs on television and he made me sleep without the fan on hot nights well, and what's fuck. a woman to do under those conditions yeah, yeah. kind of with her there and um and she says okay there my conscience is clear can I have my magazine back now And they're like, well, can you tell us about a couple other people? And she, you know, she would just giggle her way through. They would kind of have to coax it out of her, but she would giggle her way through each confession, Mm -hmm. just like bit by bit. And every time she'd finish one, she said, okay, my conscience is clear now. And then they would ask her about another one, and she'd go, oh, all right, all right. (laughs) And so she confessed to killing all of her husbands except Charles, the one that got away. Mm -hmm. And – um. You know, she blamed it on, like, she had gotten hit in the head when she was seven and said that she had, like, headaches all her life. And
1: and Well, I do think, like, Nanny was a little broke,
0: you know? I would think she would have to have been. Yeah. I mean, I think even, not even just for the killing of the husbands, but, like, to start with... Early, infants yeah.
1: yeah
0: like to start out by killing your own children mm-hmm. and then your own grandchildren
1: mm-hmm.
0: like there's a special no. kind of psychosis in that yes. you know yes and so the woman who studied her was like in genealogy and you know her second cousin or cousin's second removed or whatever mm-hmm. had um said that she had heard that that nanny was saying that this hit on the head was what had made her do it and she said and this woman's name was sherby green said no she just had a mean streak She said, in studying my family, I've learned that many of our members carried a fierce pride and a tough reputation. While they didn't take lives, they were nonetheless hard people. And I believe she had that trait, and she simply took her bad humor dangerously further.
1: Mm.
0: So it sounds like maybe a combination of just having a hard personality and a hard life. and um, Mentally ill. And some serious mental illness. So, yeah, they were... um, yeah, and oh, it turned out she was also in the course of all these investigations already corresponding with someone she thought was going to be her sixth husband, um, who had and she'd sent him a cake and he hadn't eaten it, mm. so he kind of came call. out of the shadows when this showed up in the newspaper and he's like, "Phew, <laughs> no joke." Um, <laughs> but yeah, anyway, they they did. Um, posthumously you know they took some people they examined some bodies and um yeah i think they found that she had definitely killed 11 people and they didn't even bother like with the children to check but it was everybody was pretty certain yeah that that was it um and yeah she she just continued all while she was in prison in oklahoma she just continued to joke about like the the tulsa world news had a reporter who visited her while she was in prison and she said, "Oh, they get shorthanded in the kitchen here, and I always offer to help out, but they never let me why mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and she giggled mm-hmm. and but she was she was like four psychiatrists like studied her over the course of thirty days while she was you know going through the trial and that she was d- declared sane right so in fifty five um she just pleaded guilty to dos's murder and she was put in life in prison, continuing to read her true romance magazines. And she died of leukemia in the prison in nineteen sixty five. Mm. So that is so yeah, Blue Mountain has two serial like black widows that yeah, it's weird, isn't it? It is weird. Did you and say her
1: children and
0: grandchildren? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Like it it sounded like everybody was Ninety nine point nine percent sure she murdered her two daughters.
1: Yeah, I would just assume anybody and that died around her, her daughters, her.
0: two children. Right. Yeah, you would think anybody that died around her that that was pretty it safe was probably to say. Her, or... yeah, especially because it was all like, oh, how do you how does someone die of? Well, I guess people, I guess children can die of accidental asphyxiation. That's not right. Well, so, but yeah. I mean, you would think that the person who's watching them and discovers them like dead would say, oh, there was a bag nearby, or there was I mean, she had no idea how her grandson had asphyxiated himself. Right. So they think they think that, you know, mm-hmm. like the the mother in law, her sister Dovey, mm-hmm. Robert the grandson, they think they were all probably smothered in their sleep.
1: Right. Thank.
0: And I'll I'll put up some pictures of this woman because they're not shitting about the giggling. She is always smiling. There is a picture that I found of her like after she pled guilty in court standing out in the hallway with all these like horrified people like dressed to the nines to go see the the trial show mm-hmm. and she is like laughing her fool head off in the hallway like looking like she's and there there were people like from the family who'd said it was weird that she had hired professional photographers to go and take pictures of her at her husband's funerals so it was like she liked being the grieving like, she mm-hmm. liked the show and the attention right. of being the You, you could tell widow. that
1: by, like, you know, all the things, like, in the church that she did and mm-hmm. got attention from everybody because of her husbands, her shitty mm-hmm. husbands.
0: Holy fuck, man. So that's the giggling granny, Nanny Doss.
1: Wow, Blue Mountain.
0: Blue Mountain. Stay away.
1: Stay away. Well, thank you all for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
0: Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check out our website, thestrangesouth.com. All our social media links are there. And for extra fun and goodies, join our Facebook fan group, Fans of the Strange South Podcast. And if you love us so much that you want to support what we do and get bonus episodes and behind-the-scenes photos and videos, please consider joining our Patreon, Patreon, Patreon at www.patreon.com slash thestrangesouth.